This week, I wanted to come back to just this part of the gospel that we so often overlook. We just blow right past, and I totally get it. Paul said between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus was this thing called the burial. And it's interesting to me that when Paul was enumerating and explaining what the good news was, Paul included, first of all, it's of interest that he would include death as good news in any way. And we talked about that last week, so I won't go back into all of that. But resurrection, we certainly get, and the fact that he was seen by all of these people, we certainly get that. But Paul said, don't miss the fact that Christ was buried. Are we trying to squeeze orange juice out of a rock to try to extract anything meaningful and spiritual from this idea of Christ being buried? Um, There was a time in my life, I I suppose the first 25 years of my ministry, that I, I didn't even consider the burial as a meaningful part of the resurrection that deserved any of our attention, certainly not a, a sermon. But over the last few years, I have personally, through reflection and life, begun to experience some sense of resonance, some sense of good news in my own life with this idea that between Good Friday and Holy Sunday, there was this day of stillness. This day of sitting in unresolved and seemingly unresolvable discomfort. All of my life, I have been a fixer. All of my life, I served a God that I believe chiefly was a fixer as well. All of my life, discomfort, pain, suffering meant only one thing. I needed to relieve myself of it immediately. You twist your ankle, you get off of it. You touch a hot stove, your hand moves back. And yet, while I understand that in a biological sense, more and more and more over these last few years, I have begun to understand that there are, there are deep works of the Spirit in my life that only come as I learn, Steve, to just take my hands off, not in a flinching way, but just leave off with the fixing, Lee. Just allow the good physician to ask me, where does it hurt? To which I respond, here to which she does this remarkably counterintuitive thing of immediately touching the spot that I just said hurt. Not only touching it, but pressing it, palpating it, moving it, hurting it. And in that moment, again, the counterintuitiveness is I've, I've come all of this way, paid all of this money, I'm wanting resolve. I didn't come to the doctor to feel more pain. I came to the doctor. And obviously, that's her goal as well. But in order to get that end of remedy and resolve, there are times that the pain has to instruct. And the doctor is not a sadist. She's simply doing her job 
because she knows that the pain is only a symptom of something deeper and she knows that the only way to find that deep place is to trace it to trace the pain and pain is that which allows her to trace and trek until finally she comes to the root sitting in the discomfort I remember some time ago I was in a therapeutic week-long intensive and part of the control of my life was always making sure my wardrobe was exactly right and everything had to be appointed and perfect and one of the therapists picked up on it and said I want you to do me a favor tomorrow when you come 16 hours of work therapeutic work group therapy the therapist said I want you to do me a favor I don't want you to iron your clothes I want you to mix match your socks and I don't want you to fix your hair <laughs> and that morning I agreed I covenanted that I would do that now some of you think that's just a normal day for you <laughs> and, and, and believe me I'm terribly impressed by you I really am you're a deep soul or a slob, I don't know, either one. <laughs> but I remember that day. It was that day that I, I began to open to this idea of discomfort speaks. And sitting there that day, stopping at the gas station, sitting at the restaurant, sitting with my classmates, the discomfort was overwhelming at times. The longing just to go get a can of Aquanet or something <laughs> but the discomfort said so much if he would have resurrected early Saturday morning would it have been less a resurrection if he would have cried Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani my God my God, why have you forsaken me? And then given up the ghost. And 30 minutes later, just to give the medical window, if he would have resuscitated 30 minutes later, would it have been any less of a resurrection? The story is not a slave to the type of Jonah. The story, the, the, the type of Jonah was a slave to the end in mind. There was a reason he lost his life on Passover. There was a reason that he rose on Sunday. I think it's because he knew that's when we were going to have church. No, that's the wrong way, is it? That's the wrong. That's, that's starting with the beginning. And, okay. But there were reasons for Saturday. We've been telling the story for years. I'm not going to say a whole lot more because I'll just leave you with this. But we've been telling the stories for years. He died and then he rose. We have Good Friday services. We spend weeks singing about the cross. We show up on Sunday, Easter, and we celebrate a resurrection. And the only thing most of us do on Saturday is take our kids to Easter egg hunts. And I think even that's telling. On that day 
I think about my friend, my friends Don and Candy who buried their um, teenage son yesterday. I, I think about the way he's describing sleep now, how scared he is to close his eyes, how scared he is to open his eyes. And I think about... Yeah, he may be watching. I don't know. I think about the fact that he woke up this morning. And he is he is on the other side of Friday and he is certainly in his heart now. They're not close to Sunday. But he woke up into this Saturday that we don't want to admit exists. It's why Kubler-Ross was right. We have all kinds of ways, theological, psychological, and otherwise, to just put Friday and Sunday right together. It's telling to me that on the day that the church should gather together in silence and experience discomfort, whether it's the discomfort Jacques Rene of cancer treatments or it's the discomfort of divorce or the discomfort of an impending bankruptcy or just the discomfort that for eight years you haven't heard from your daughter or the discomfort that you fell off the wagon last week after four years of sobriety the discomfort of an unresolved cross the discomfort of an unresolved thorn Paul said I knew a man who went up into the third heavens and he heard things that were unhearable and he saw things that were unseeable and Paul said I was coming down the staircase from that third heavens experience and on my way down that staircase a thorn pierced me and he said concerning this thing he called it an angelos, an angel of Satan sent to buffet me. That was the only way he could frame it. It was as though this demonic force was given dispensation in my life. It slid through at the most awkward of times. I was coming back from the highest moment of my life. Unutterable visions of grandeur. I had been in the domain of God. I slipped through the portal, through the thin place, and I was with God in a world of colors beyond our palette and sounds beyond our spectrum and sights beyond what I can explain. And ludicrously, there was given me a thorn, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me Concerning this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, goes the old King James Version, but the very difficult Greek there that was probably a Hebrew idiom was I sought the Lord not just three times, but I sought the Lord incessantly in a very Jewish trinary fashion, morning, noon, and night, beginning, body, and end. It consumed me. I could not frame third heavens and thorns in the same chapter of life. 
I hadn't learned yet that good and bad run on parallel tracks and often they get there just about the same time. That wheat and tares grow together and sometime in the substrate of your life their roots are so tangled that to remove one is to damage the other. Discomfort. And Paul said, so impossible in my third heaven state of mind was this thorn that I besought the Lord incessantly I didn't knock on the door. I bloodied my knuckles on that door. There was no nevertheless in my Gethsemane. I beat my head against the grain. And I begged him that this thing might depart from me. And finally, finally, Paul said, and he was saying to me. That's the Greek. I read that for years. And he said to me. No, no, no. The Greek with their tenses is sometimes difficult for us to translate. And this doesn't capture it perfectly, but it's closer. Let me just say that Paul said, I begged him for this to depart from me. And he was saying to me. The intimation is that what what he said he had been saying but I couldn't hear you know why I couldn't hear because my prayers drowned God out the reason I couldn't hear Christ was because my own tears pain and discomfort can become so overwhelming at times scripture said that when they were toiling in their rowing and they were crying out that all hope was lost and Jesus had put them in a boat, sent them in the storm and he didn't even have the decency to get in the boat with them. When he came walking on the water, they said, scripture says that they thought he was a demon. Sometimes tears can create these painful lenses through which God even seems a demon. I remember when my old faithful German shepherd Angel was, ran out of the fence and I was there in the backyard and I'd left the gate open and I heard the screeching of tires. She was my best friend and I saw her as she went under the car and the car stopped and it drug her. Our old neighbor backed off and I ran out and foolish me, she was hurting so badly. I reached down to my friend. I reached down to help her and when I did... She was hurting too bad to see. I wasn't angry at her. I understood. I don't even think I felt the pain. It ended up breaking a bone. I didn't feel it because I understood. That's what pain does. When the answer comes walking on the water, you see it as more problem. That's why if you would have asked Job at the end of the story, hey, Job, was that God? Was that Satan? Or was that just life? Job would have said, absolutely. We have this terrible reality in our psyche that everything that hits us within five minutes, we can absolutely discern exactly what it is and how, if it needs to be there or not. I know, what, I know what infidelity and cheating looks like, Joseph said, and he sought to put her away as she whimpered and cried and said something about the Holy Spirit. Mary... My God, 
Don't bring God into this. Surprise, Joseph. The thing that you see as infidelity in your greatest heartbreak is the coming of God into the world. Jacob wrestled all night long with God. All night long he wrestled, thinking it was Esau or one of his men, until finally, in the early hours of the morning, he saw the wrestling match for what it was, and he found out, my greatest wrestling match is not with Esau, my greatest wrestling match is with God. My greatest wrestling match is with myself. And then he fell into the arms of the one that he had resisted and said, would you bless me? And the gentle caress of the face and a name changed from Jacob to Israel. One who prevails with God by ceasing to wrestle. And as he collapses, weary with the fight, into the arms of the blesser, the other hand slides down and pops him on the hip discomfort a hip dislocated and he screams why did you do that a caress and a dislocation a thorn and a third heaven good and bad run on parallel tracks and they get there about the same time so I love Sundays I love Easter's. I love Resurrections. And I can't say that I love Good Friday, but I am so deeply moved by Good Friday, it is the sustaining reason that I am still a Christian. God saved, if not Christianity, at least Jesus for me through a fuller understanding of a suffering God and the cross, the idea of solidarity the woundedness of God. So I love Sunday, and at the core of my faith is Friday. But at 47 and a couple of weeks on Easter, funny how that happens. That's a special thing when your birthday lands on Easter. I'll be 48 years old, and it's just been in the recent years that I'm beginning to move into the holiness of Saturday. The holiness, Steve, of having a sponsor and saying, my life is unmanageable. Powerless. Just powerless. I, I'm not teary today because I'm sad. I'm teary today because I'm moved and relieved at how robust and beautiful our story is. I'm so grateful that there's a Saturday to offer my friends today who woke up praying to God that they would wake up out of a nightmare. Saturday is a soul-making day. Saturday is a day that even the one who is intractably, irreparably, undeniably life even the one in whom was life and the life was the light of the world the one who could not die but did that life was not so irrepressible that it could not sustain for a day
and the body of God lay in that tomb and God made a very soul making decision for us by letting us go to sleep a couple of nights in our discomfort by letting us head back to our nets because we realized that we had hitched our wagon to the wrong thing they couldn't even sit for a day in their discomfort they couldn't wait for God they walked away from the cross and after three years of being with him they couldn't even wait a day before they went back because that's what we do we got to get busy we got to get busy we got to distract ourselves we got to cut off any connection from here to here from here to here we got to cut it off and get busy again and they were already back to their nets maybe that's why maybe that's why the women were the first to see him they didn't believe in the resurrection any more than the disciples who went back to their nets did but the Bible says the women went to the tomb to tend to his burial and it was intending to the burial that they met the resurrected Christ and I don't know if I've said it well or said it poorly but I'm just imploring you if you haven't figured this out I wish I'd figured it out a long time ago the resurrected Christ comes so often not to people who are looking for the resurrection but for people who are tending decently and nobly to the burial who have learned that Saturdays are holy days and we don't have to cover them up with Easter egg hunts nothing wrong with Easter egg hunts and we'll have one you get what I'm saying today this is the Lenten season this is the season when we do take the lights down a little bit when we take the colors and we turn them to the black and the grays and the whites and we reflect but what I have said today is not moribund and it's not morose what I've said today is freighted and pregnant with hope if you would but see it tend to the burial well and Paul said he was saying to me my grace is sufficient for you so most gladly therefore I will rather glory in my infirmities for when I am weak then I am strong for God's strength is made perfect in human weakness that the power of Christ might spread a tent over me.